Amen. What a powerful song. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Ashley and choir for leading us. I will be Christ to you. Wow, if we could just remember that, right? Isn't that what it means to love one another? To love one another means that we are as Christ to others. It means that we are eager and that we are aware and sensitive and, and take the initiative to wash the feet of others, to lay down our lives for others. And, and as we read the Scripture again this morning, the, 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 the summarizing Scripture of our, our One Another series, we are reminded again that one of the ways that we love one another is through kindness. In fact, some have called kindness the universal language. Kindness is that which communicates across the cultures, across the languages, across history. Some have described kindness as love in action. Kindness is the evidence of love and goodness within one's heart. Therefore, some have called kindness a word that helps us to understand or to see the integrity of a person. For you see, what is within one's heart, if, it, if it's love, it must be expressed as a part of the whole expression of the person. So if love was, is within the heart of a person, then kindness is that which must flow from the exterior of the person to minister and serve and engage others. Some would argue that the absence of kindness reveals the absence of love in one's heart. It's interesting that whenever the Scriptures describe Jesus as being moved by compassion, whenever Jesus is moved by love, whenever He sees a need, He sees a, a hurting or broken person, whenever He's moved by compassion, kindness always follows. The hungry are fed. The sick are healed. The blind regain their sight. And even the dead are raised. And so as we explore today this idea, this truth that love is revealed in kindness, we must step back, we must look into our lives, into our communities, in our culture, and it's discouraging that kindness seems to be one of the things that is missing in so many of our lives. Kindness missing in our marriages, in our families. Kindness missing in our churches and in our workplaces. Kindness missing in our schools, in our government, and certainly in our politics. Our world needs a kindness makeover. And so this morning we are reminded that to love one another means to be kind to one another. It's all throughout the Scriptures. Remember that beautiful uh, love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. It begins like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. One of the key descriptors in Scripture of love is kindness. And we go on to see the fruit of the Spirit that Paul reveals and shares to us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God that dwells within us, the fruit of the Spirit of God is kindness. 
Last week, as we looked at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 tells us that we are, as the chosen of God, that we are to put on kindness. Kindness is the fruit of the Spirit of God. It is, it is evidence of God's love that is within us. This morning, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read these few verses for us. Again, as a reminder and as instruction, as, as teaching and admonition, as we talked about last week, that kindness is the fruit of the Spirit of God as it resides within us. Now, I love these first verses before we get to verses 31 and 32. These first verses, it, it seems, really describe what kindness may look like. And then summarizes at the end of this chapter. We'll read verses 25 through uh, the first couple chapters of uh, first couple of verses of chapter five. Therefore, and Paul is writing about the unity of the Spirit. Remember, we talked about that that that, that Christ is instructing the church. He's instructing his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. And certainly then that is to flow out into the, the world in which we live. But it begins at home. It begins with the body of Christ. And so here Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. And he's talking about what does it mean to be uh, unified in Christ? What does it mean to be one in Christ? What does it mean to walk together in the Spirit of God? In verse 25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to one another with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor or work, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who is in need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You see how kindness just oozes through this passage of how we're to be kind and to love one another. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It appears to me as we look at verse 32 and 31 that kindness is almost the antidote against the ills of our culture and the broken relationships that we face. Kindness is, is not only the opposite, it is the cure for bitterness, for wrath, for anger, for clamor, for slander, for malice. Kindness asks this important question. Kindness asks, what can I do to help? What can I do to serve you? What can I do to, to meet a need in your life? Sometimes this is an internal question. Sometimes as we go about our lives and our relationships and, and we observe others, we relate with others, we know what the act of kindness should be in serving and loving other people. And so then kindness doesn't become a mystery. We, we understand and know what that is. It becomes a matter 
of taking the initiative to follow through and to offer this act of love and act of kindness. But sometimes this question, what can I do to help, is an external question. It's a question that we must ask to others. We see someone who's hurting. We, we see someone who's in need. And we must take the initiative to ask the question, what can I do to help? What, what can I do to serve? What can I do to come alongside of you here in this instant and in this moment? And as we ask these questions, both internally and externally, then our kindness may take on thousands of different forms. But each and every expression of kindness always begins with you or me taking an initiative in the life of someone with a need. The Roman philosopher Seneca said it this way. He said, wherever there is a human being, there is an opportunity for kindness. Wherever there's a person, there's an opportunity for us to act in a way of kindness and love towards them. Are you familiar with the story of Botham Jean? It's a story that's been all over the news over these last, uh, last, this last week or so. It's a story that's taken place over the last couple of years. If you're not familiar with it, let me share with you a few moments. And if you are, maybe to encourage you some, to some thought on kindness and how that was seen and demonstrated in this story. Botham Jean was born in St. Lucia, an island in the Caribbean. And by the age of 26, he was living in Dallas and working as an accountant. Botham became a Christian at an early age, and he began to preach as a teenager, and he loved and enjoyed singing in his church choir. In fact, he led worship for his church the Sunday before he was murdered. Murdered while at home. At home in his living room, watching TV and eating ice cream one night. You see, Amber Geiger, a Dallas police officer who was in her uniform, when she entered into his apartment by mistake about 10 o'clock one evening, was exhausted after a long shift. She thought she was entering into her own apartment, but in reality, she had parked on the wrong floor and entered into the wrong floor of her apartment complex. And even though she testified that her, her key fob did not work, she found the door open. And so she entered into the apartment, scared and nervous, not knowing why her apartment door would be left open. So she entered into the apartment with her revolver drawn. And she feared for her life when she saw a large silhouette, as she described it. And she called out to that silhouette, let me see your hands. But Botham certainly frightened himself, went towards the intruder, yelling at her, Hey, hey, hey! And in the fear of that moment, she reacted with force, shooting and killing Botham. The trial that took place over this, these last months, the trial became racially polarizing, Another example of police violence against black men. 
And when racist and offensive social media posts and texts became public from Geiger, the firestorm grew. And even though she was convicted and found guilty of murder, her sentence was only leveled at 10 years. The outcry, the protests grew. Yet in the midst of all of this, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, asked if he might be able to say a few words after the sentencing. No one was quite sure what he was going to say. But he was given two rules. Brant, no profanity and no threats. Instead, Brant offered these words. If you are truly sorry, looking at Miss Geiger, if you are truly sorry, I know that I can speak for myself. I forgive you. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want for you. I love you as a person, and I do not wish anything bad upon you. Can I give her a hug, please? He asked the judge. And Judge Tammy Kemp, an African American, gave Brant permission. And I'm sure many of you have seen it on video, but in a powerful moment of healing, Brant and Geiger, Amber, embraced in the middle of the courtroom. And after several hugs, Brant left the courtroom. Quiet weeping could be heard among those who remained. Calloused courtroom regulars commenting that they had never seen anything like this. Geiger returned to her chair, and Judge Kemp left the courtroom as well. But in a few minutes, she re-emerged into the courtroom, and she walked over to the Jean family, and she hugged them. She expressed her sympathy to each of the family members that was there, and then she told the boy's mother, Thank you. Thank you for modeling Christ. Judge Kemp then walked over to Geiger and spoke quietly to her, offering Geiger her personal Bible. She said, you can have it. I have three or four at home. This is the one that I use every day. This is your job for the next month. Here, you read right here. She said, starting with John 3.16. We're familiar with John 3.16, aren't we? Are we as familiar with John 3.17? You understand the setting. She had just been found guilty of murder, condemned to 10 years in prison, dealing with the guilt of shooting and murdering a, an innocent man. John 3.17 says that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save us. Geiger jumped up to hug Kemp, they embraced. Geiger's words to the judge were not heard. But the judge said this back to her, Ma'am, it's not because I'm good. It's because I believe in Christ. None of us are worthy. Forgive yourself. You see, love is kind. This is me, this is not her. <laughs> love is kind. The fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives is kindness. 
We are to put on kindness. We are to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Inside that courtroom, grace, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness were offered after the murder conviction and sentence were passed. Lives tragically changed by a murder. Lives graciously changed through an act of kindness and forgiveness. Outside the courtroom, anger, bitterness, protest raged on. Outrage at a minimal sentence was to be expected. But even a brother's act of kindness and forgiveness was attacked. Seen by some as an act of weakness and capitulation by a minority to the unjust systems and structures of our culture. And of course, the fury, the fury over a judge who stepped out of her formal role as an agent of a government to offer personal words of faith and kindness and hope to one who had just been judged guilty in her, in her very own courtroom and who was broken in that moment. Further evidence of the polarization of our culture and the demonization of any expression of faith in the public square. Oh, that we would remember the prophet Micah who proclaimed, and what does the Lord require from you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Church, justice and kindness should not exist in opposition to one another. Rather, when we walk humbly with God in the fullness of His Spirit, in the knowledge and gratitude of God's justice and kindness as manifested through Jesus on the cross, on behalf of each one of us, we too can offer a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit of God from the branches of our lives that includes kindness towards others. But why kindness? Why kindness? In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the Scripture tells us that it's the kindness of God. The kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to salvation. Kindness is the most effective tool for communicating God's love and salvation to a lost, hurting, and broken world. Kindness is evangelism in action. And it is even more effective when it is least expected. But church, let's please, let's please not patronize God and get caught up in the feel-good, self-congratulating, back-slapping, pop-cultural fad of offering acts of random kindness. As followers of Christ, we are not called to random acts of kindness. We are called to offer a life of kindness to all that we meet. Certainly, our acts of kindness may be seen as random by a recipient that we meet, that we don't have relationship. But church, as followers of Christ, ongoing acts of kindness flowing from our lives on a regular, consistent basis is the evidence of the Spirit of God within us. Kindness towards those that we disagree with. Kindness towards those that are different than us. 
kindness towards those who even despise and hate us. Kindness freely given. Kindness that cannot be earned. And kindness that is never given with the expectation of a returned act of kindness. You see, church, this is the kindness of God that leads to salvation and repentance in the life of others. But let us be warned, for in Romans chapter 11, verses 22 and 23, the kindness of God is set against the severity of God. They're seen in opposition to one another. For you see, unbelief, unbelief is that which leads to the severity of God. So church, we must heed the invitation of Jesus. And I love this passage in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 30, where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my yoke is light. And you notice in the translation on the screen, is the word kind. And the Scripture says love is kind. This is the exact same word that Jesus uses when He says my yoke is kind. Are you familiar with a yoke? I think we have a picture. We have a picture right there. It's a picture of a yoke. You can just see two, two oxen with their heads and their, their necks within that yoke. And, and there where that, that iron circle is, that being chained or, or roped onto, attached to, to, to a plow, to some, uh, some kind of wagon or, or some kind of thing where, where those oxen would be forced and required to work and to drag that yoke. You see, our sin... Our sin is that kind of, of, of master. Our sin enslaves us. Our sin puts a yoke around us that enchains us and drives us into that kind of slavery. So what an incredible contrast. What a, a life-giving, life-freeing contrast when Jesus says, think of that yoke that we use every day. Think of that yoke that goes around those beasts of burden. My yoke is kindness. I love you with kindness. And I call you now to serve and to help others with kindness. My yoke is easy. My yoke is kindness. Take that yoke upon you. Take the yoke of Christ's kindness upon you. I thought about that and been reading in John Maxwell's book about winning with people. And in that book, he talks about the elevator principle. And the elevator principle is simply put, we can either, and it's not we can, we are, we are either lifting people up or we are taking people down. We can lift people up with our words and our actions, or we can tear them down with our words and our actions. We can choose kindness. We can choose meanness. We can just be indifferent and not care one way or the other. What about you? How do you consider others? And how do others consider you? Do you lift people up? Are you a, a person that lifts people up, that, that offers acts of kindness, words of kindness to encourage and to build people up? Or are you one who at the end of the day you would look back 
And you would say that my actions and my words have torn people down. It's interesting. In the Greek, the word Christos and the word Christos are only separated by one letter. An I for Christos, is this needs to be transliterated, an E for Christos. The word Christos would be used to refer to, to the followers of Jesus as Christians, as Christ people. The word Christos would be used to identify kind people. Can you believe that in the early church and as the world was beginning to know who these people were, that, that the word Christos and Christos, that people were confused? <laughs> They didn't know if they were Christ people or kind people. <laughs> wow, what a testimony to the early church. Oh, that we would be confused with kind people. Isn't that what Christ people are supposed to be? Christos or Christos. We are to be one and the same. The people of Christ are to be people who are kind who encourage and lift and build one another up with our words and our actions, the washing the feet of others and laying our lives down for others. Christians are kind because the Christ who lives within them is kind. Christ people live lives of kindness so that they can lift people out of their mire and out of the muck of life. As a result, our homes, our churches, our relationships, our world are strengthened. Our lives are enriched and people are drawn to Christ, the source of our kindness. Church, to love one another means that we must be kind to one another. I'm fascinated by this quote from Marcus Aurelius, one of the Roman, empires, Roman emperors. Not a believer, not a Christian, but it's as if he had an insight into what it meant to be a, a, a Christos person, a, a, a kind person, a, a people of kindness. Listen to this quote. He said, today, today you will meet all kinds of unpleasant people. They will hurt you. They will injure you and insult you. But you cannot live like that. You know better. For you are a man, you are a woman in whom the Spirit of God dwells instead we are called to lift others up through kindness others may live like that but we cannot for the spirit of god dwells within us that is unless the spirit does not and if not today Today you have seen how the kindness of God leads to repentance and leads to salvation. May today be the day that you experience the fullness of God's love and kindness through Christ Jesus. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall experience the kindness of of God through Christ Jesus our Lord and become a person of Christ and become a person of kindness let's pray
Father, it is so easy to point to others and to judge others. It's so easy to take our cynical and critical spirits and to use them to tear others down. A lot of times we do that to build ourselves up. But Father, we have seen today that to love one another means that we must be kind to one another. We're to be kind to one another because You were kind to us. You've taught us how to wash the feet of others. You have taught us and given us an example of, of what it means to lay our lives down for one another. So Lord, as we, we engage people, as we live in our families, we would ask and pray that You give us this Spirit of Christ, this Spirit of kindness. And Lord, that Your kindness would infect and transform our lives, our families, our workplaces, our world. Father, we thank You for this powerful example of kindness that we saw unfold in a courtroom this week in Dallas. And Father, we pray that we would be faithful to offer acts of kindness to those that we meet along the way. Lord, that Your love would flow naturally from us. And this morning, as we stand to sing in just a moment, the altar's open, the, the altar's open to those that, that say you are a, a Christos person, but you would say, you know, I don't know if, if I'm very kind. I don't know if I'm a, a Christos person, and, and I want the kindness of God to flow from me. If that's your prayer, come and, and pray at the altar. Invite someone to come with you, or a deacon, a minister will come and pray alongside of you to encourage you. Or maybe God is stirring within you that there's a person's face that's been put before you that, that, that needs to know that they're loved and, and that you know how to offer an act of love and kindness towards them. Maybe God is stirring a, a kindness for you to express even today. Or maybe simply the question, how can I help you? And again, for those who've never received the the Spirit of Christ, the gift of salvation. May you know that Jesus came, that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son not to condemn you, but to love you and to save you and to allow you to experience His life of kindness and grace. This morning, as the Spirit stirs in your life, you be obedient and faithful. Come forward and we'll begin that prayer and conversation. But now let's be faithful as we stand and sing.